Welcome to the MPC Podcast. I am Tim W. Gill, pastor of Medora Pentecostal Church, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Here at MPC, we are committed to bringing hope and building lives. One way we do that is through this podcast. Thank you for listening, for sharing and reviewing what we do here. It is our desire to connect with you, and you can find us on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, medorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today. Hallelujah. Let's get to it. If you have your Bibles, the very final book of 66 books, the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter number 7, verse number 1. Now, you might not hear too many Easter weekend sermons from the book of Revelation, but you will tonight, bless God. And I feel in the Holy Ghost the unction of the Lord. I actually had a different sermon. I had a totally different message, all prepped, some of that bread baked in the oven, ready to preach. And uh, God took those notes and just mailed them back to Michigan. And so I believe in the infilling of the Holy Ghost, and I believe in following the Holy Ghost. This evening, we're going to follow the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Revelation 7. I'll read the first eight verses. When you're there, say, I'm there. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. Now, I won't delve too deeply into this, but just receive this word, that God holds back the worst of the worst. What holds back... What holds back the worst from happening in this world is not our political parties. It's not our schemes or our human dreams. It is God and his holy angels. God holds back the worst from happening. Receive that the Lord prevents dangers in your very life. All right. Verse number two. I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. Before there was the mark of the beast, there was first the seal of God. The mark of the beast is only a knockoff brand version of the seal of God. And this angel cries with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees. They couldn't even hurt the trees without asking permission of God. You see that? Till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed an hundred forty and four thousand of all of the tribes of the children of Israel. Now, no matter what certain specific other denominations may preach. This is not talking about Gentiles. 144,000 were sealed of the tribes of the children of Israel. Say Israelites. That is what we're talking about right here. Okay. And it even names every tribe to make this crystal clear that we're talking about Israelites. Of Judah were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gab were sealed 12,000. From Asher were sealed 12,000. From Naphtali were sealed 12,000. From Manasseh were sealed 12,000. And Manasseh was the youngest son of Joseph. Okay. Okay. 
Of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulun were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. And Joseph's oldest son was named Ephraim. Say Ephraim. So Ephraim represented here for Joseph. And finally, of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. 12 tribes, 12,000 from each tribe. Joseph, did you catch, was double counted. Both Joseph, which would be Ephraim, his oldest son, and then his youngest son, Manasseh, both are in there. And Levi is not left out. Levi is there, counted in verse number 7. So if Joseph is double counted, and if Levi is not left out, that means that there is a missing tribe in this passage, doesn't there? Only 11 of the 12 sons of Jacob are recorded. And this shall be my title on Friday evening, preaching to you on this, the missing tribe. The missing tribe. Lord, speak to us. Let us have ears to hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And God, once again, let it not be Joel who preaches, but let it be you, the Lord Jesus, who speaks to us. Open our ears of understanding and help us to hear what the Spirit you are saying unto this church. We worship you. We praise you. We give you all the credit, all the glory, and all the honor in advance of what you, Lord God, are about to do and accomplish in this revival. All of us say in Jesus' name, amen. May be seated. There are missing tribes in Medora, Indiana. There are missing tribes all across this county. What county am I in? Jackson County. There are missing tribes in Jackson County, Indiana. In point of fact, there are missing tribes in every apostolic across the state of Indiana. In every apostolic church, there are missing families and missing souls and missing people in empty pews who should be there in the apostolic church and should be there. They have a place in the house of God. But for some reason, for some event in their lives, they are are absent apostolics. They are Pentecostal proverbs and sanctified stats of the people who used to be praisers and used to be prayer warriors and used to be intercessors and used to live holy and used to be present in every prayer meeting, in every revival service. But now we don't see them anymore. Maybe it's been five years or five months or even five minutes. Perhaps it has been two decades or more before we have seen their face in this church and we wonder whatever happened to brother so-and-so where did they go they are a missing tribe they are a missing family in this community now i'll not browbeat this issue I'll get right to this. There was a missing tribe, a missing portion of the family of Jacob or Israel. And if you look all throughout this passage, you will find one name of one tribe missing. And I'll tell you exactly who was the missing tribe. Repeat after me, Dan. Dan was the missing tribe. You will not find Dan's name in the book of Revelation chapter number 7. You will not find 
proclaim their name as having 12,000 souls that are saved in this end times passage. Now, the end times itself is not particularly my subject for the evening, but Dan is my subject. They are the missing tribe. If any of you have read those Bible reading programs and have read through the book of Joshua, in the book of Joshua, the final few chapters portion out the land of promise. And Dan and Naphtali and Zebulun, all the members of the family of Jacob, all the tribes of Israel had a portion of promised land territory. But because Dan went missing, AWOL, absent without leave in the army of the Lord, therefore there became unconquered territory in the land of promise. Because Dan was missing, there were giants that were never defeated. And there was land that went unconquered territory that God did not have full authority in because somebody went absent and took off from the kingdom of God. Why? Why was Dan missing? The story begins in 1 Kings chapter 12. I hope you all brought your Bibles or your Bible apps for my generation. Bless God, I'm not judging you for having an electronic Bible. Hallelujah. 1 Kings 12 and verse 25. We're going to have a deep dive in the Word of God. Let me take you back to where Dan messed up. There was a king named Jeroboam. Jeroboam split the kingdom of Israel. Jeroboam took ten tribes and went north to Mount Samaria and formed a new kingdom that was oftentimes called the kingdom of Samaria because their capital was in Mount Samaria in the tribe of Ephraim. But most times that kingdom is just simply called Israel because ten out of the twelve tribes of Israel went with that split. The bulk of the people went with the split. Just because you follow the crowd, that don't mean you're on the right side of the argument. Just because 10 out of 12 say it's okay, 83% can still be wrong. The crowd can still be wrong. The majority can still be incorrect. Don't follow the crowd to hell. I want to heed the still small voice of God and be led by the Spirit. In spite of popular culture, in spite of majority opinions, in spite of the peer pressure of our modern times, I must be saved. I want to be led by God in my life. Jeroboam had the bulk of the crowd, the majority of the people, but there's something he lacked. Two tribes did not go with him, the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah mainly stayed loyal to the house of David and that Davidic line of kings. The royal lineage of David's line, David's grandson Rehoboam reigned on the throne of David in the city of Jerusalem. Inside the territory of that tribe of Judah was the city of Jerusalem. And inside the borders of that city of David, Jerusalem, was the house of God, the temple. And inside the house of God in Jerusalem was the presence of God. And dear friend, mark this down. If the house of God is not inside the borders of your territory, then you're in the wrong territory. You are in the incorrect placement of your future life. Get out of that territory. Territory. Get out of those bad decisions and find the territory of God. Amen. 
A house of God must be within the borders of my territory. A house of God was not inside the borders of King Jeroboam's territory. And even though he built up these great cities, Penuel and Mount Ephraim, I read that he got upset and worried. In verse 26, Jeroboam the king said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord Rehoboam. Now, let me give you a nugget here from the scriptures. Jeroboam had more faith in the house of God than the majority of apostolics do. Jeroboam believed in his heart that if he let just any random soul go to the house of God, that God could bring them all to repentance and all to the point of transformation. I believe that. If Jeroboam believed that, then God help me, all of us should. Anybody you bring to the house of the Lord is in danger of finding the altar of repentance and of God changing their life. He thought anybody who was allowed to go to the house of God, God could change them and God could work on them. And he didn't want that because if God changed them, then he would lose his authority in their lives. Why is hell trying to keep certain souls out of this church? Because hell is afraid of God getting the authority in your life, of God changing your framework of thinking, of God making you a brand new man with new thoughts and new approaches and a saved mind. Hell is afraid of who you might become. You won't be the old man that you used to be. Now you'll find a fresh, newfound desire for the things of God in your life. And if God gets authority in your life, then hell loses its voice in your mind. And Jeroboam didn't want to lose the voice of influence in the minds of those people. And so he said, if I let them go back to the house of God in Jerusalem, they'll all go back to Rehoboam and they'll kill me. The cry of the flesh is a cry not to die. The cry of the flesh says, I want to live. But the apostle Paul said it differently. I die daily. I have crucified with Christ, but yet I live. Yet not I, but Christ who lives within me. There is part of me, part of my flesh, part of my human thinking that must perish for me to make eternity for me to make heaven my home. All right, so then after that, King Jeroboam got worried, and so he made this strange, strange proclamation. In verse number 28, in order to keep all the people inside of his territory where he had to say so, the king took counsel. Counselors actually told him to do this, and he made not just one, but two golden calves. Do you see that? He actually repeated the mistake of a previous generation. But here's the truth of sin. When you repeat the mistake of a previous generation, you won't stop where they stopped. You'll double down. Sin will multiply and metastasize like cancer down deep in your soul. It will be a deeper ditch, and 
than your previous generation dug. It'll be a worse circumstance. It'll be a terrible scenario. Sin will take you deeper and hold you longer than you ever thought possible. It won't just stop where they stopped. It'll be worse. It shall be bad. They made two golden calves and not just one. And he tells them, it's too much for you to go up to the city of David, Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. If you flip back over to Exodus 32 and verse 4, they made the exact same statement in Exodus. In Exodus 32, they said, These be your gods, O Israel, which brought you up out of Egypt, almost like a, a hellish incantation or a spell of witchcraft, like false religion. They were trying to say the same things that sinful generation did. Do you know what a golden calf is? Let me give you the Joel definition. In my opinion, I-M-O, hashtag right there. My definition of a golden calf they said, these be your gods that brought you up out of Egypt. A golden calf is something that you give the credit to in the place of God. A golden calf is anything that you say saved you, helped you, or was the reason that you got rescue. And you're taking the credit and the honor and the praise away from heaven, away from Jehovah, away from Jesus. And God don't like that. Put no other gods before him. That was one of the Ten Commandments. God hates idolatry. God hates idols. God hates a lie. And God hates sin. Get rid of that golden calf uh, out of your life that golden calf they had two of them and they put the one in verse 29 in Bethel they put one golden calf in Bethel who all knows what Bethel means in Hebrew the house of God how many has ever heard the spirit of Jezebel preached about I have heard the spirit of Jezebel preached about more than once, but I have never heard the spirit of Jeroboam preached about. The spirit of Jeroboam puts a golden calf in Bethel, the house of God, puts a false idol in the place that means the house of God. Look back in Genesis. Bethel is where Jacob had the ladder vision, the ladder dream of God at the top of that ladder. And angels ascending and descending in a place of divine visitation, in a place of angelic manifestation. Jeroboam puts a golden calf and false religion, something that grabs their attention. I heard one preacher call this the bling bling of Babylon. Something shiny, something that pulls you away from worshiping the one true God of all that is. I don't know who I'm preaching to, but God is trying to reach your heart right now to dump the idol in your life and get rid of that golden calf. He put it in the very place of meeting between God and man. He put the one golden calf in Bethel and the other golden calf, he put it, you guessed it, in Dan. Dan, and that thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one, even in Dan. And Dan backs 
slid because they became the center of false worship. It became the place where everybody went to to compromise. Oh, we all know those locations where you'll be accepted like you are and won't have to change. I am not trying to shear the sheep tonight, but I am trying to warn the sheep. Not everybody who says that you're okay is telling you the truth. Be careful about what preachers you play on YouTube and on podcasts on the World Wide Web. Be careful about what voices that you allow to speak into your life and your family and your ministry. Just be careful. Don't let a sin, a golden calf, become the dominant voice of your belief. Amos 8 and verse number 11. Every preacher I know has preached this verse. Amos chapter 8 and verse number 11. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. Pop quiz, who sent the famine? God did. I, first person deity, I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of what? Of hearing. Say hearing. Hearing doesn't say preaching, not a famine of preaching. We don't have a famine of preaching in the U.S. of A. We have a famine of hearing. And seven times to seven churches of Asia, God told John the Apostle, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I cannot let spiritual deafness break forth in my life. I cannot close my ears to what the Holy Ghost is saying to me. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Verse 12, keep reading. They, these people who have gone spiritually deaf, and they shall wander, wander, roaming like spiritual nomads from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. Why can't they find the word of the Lord? It's because they're spiritually deaf. If all 12 apostles and Miriam and Aaron and Moses all stood dead and sinner in front of them, and shouted Acts 2.38, they wouldn't hear it because they've gone deaf. Have I, gut check, spirit check, soul check right now, take 30 seconds while I'm preaching this message and ask God in prayer right now, have I shut my ear to the voice of God in something in my life? Has the Holy Ghost asked me to do something, to consecrate something, to sacrifice something, to give something in my life? Is there anything I have closed my ears to in God? Hallelujah. If you keep reading, it says, In that day shall the fair virgins and young men fate for thirst. Fair virgins is female youth, and young men is male youth. Say youth. Both genders there, see? The youth would faint for thirst. There would come a drought of that river of life among the youth. What terrible thing could cause all that? What could cause spiritual wandering, nomadism in the Holy Ghost? What could cause spiritual deafness? What could cause a spiritual drought? I've never heard any other preacher preach from this verse. Verse 14. 
They that swear by the sin of Samaria and say, Thy God, O Dan, liveth. What caused all that was the false god in Dan, say, golden calf. The golden calf made them all go spiritually deaf. If you keep thanking the wrong God, lowercase g, for long enough, you won't hear the voice of Christ anymore. You'll go blind. You'll go deaf spiritually. Your heart shall wax cold. You'll become unfeeling, like a hard stone. You won't know what direction to turn in all of your decisions because you've lost your sensitivity to the still small voice in your life. You have become unsensitive to the Holy Ghost and to the voice of God. So what could cause all that? Why would they build a golden calf? Why would they do this? Why would they make this mistake? It would send them all off the cliff's edge. There was actually a precursor sin in Judges 18 and verse 30. Before there was the golden calf, there was first the graven image. The children of Dan set up the graven image. How many of us know our Ten Commandments? Ye shall not make unto me any graven image. They violated one of the Ten Commandments right there. Before the golden calf was this thingamajig right here, the graven image. It wasn't as bad as the golden calf they would have in later generations. That's always how it starts. Before a man cheats on his wife, he first stares at pornography on his smartphone. Before a person violently slaps his spouse, he first curses at them in their private, quiet quarters. Before somebody first cheats, cheats on their job. They begin to cheat uh, the Lord in their offerings. Before somebody makes a serious violation of the laws of God, there is always a first step, a first mistake. Before cocaine was marijuana, before marijuana was alcohol, before alcohol was your cigarettes and tobacco, there's always a precursor, a stepping stone drug, a stepping stone sin in your life. All of it's front-loaded in that first decision. Don't take the first hit. Don't say the first cuss word. Just don't do it. Don't go through with that sinful decision. They made the graven image. But look closely. Not just a graven image in that verse. They took these people, Jonathan and these folks who were not Levites, and they made them priests to the tribe of Dan until the day of the captivity of the land. False preachers. Before the false God, there was the false preacher. And now we're back to that issue. What preachers are you playing on YouTube? What preachers are you playing on the World Wide Web? What people are telling you that that's okay, and that's okay, and this is okay? But it's not okay if this book says it's not okay. This is the moral absolute. This is our spiritual measuring line. This is our authority. This is the word of God. The false preacher. Where will a false preacher, put that verse back up please. Where will the false preacher and the false God lead you? 
captivity. They were there until the day, the very day of the captivity of the land. False religion won't make you free. It'll make you a spiritual captive. It'll captivate your heart until you are no longer free in the spirit. You are no longer free indeed in the kingdom. Now you're bound by sin and bound by addictions and bound by perversions and bound, bound in your life. But I'm holding back the true reason. I'm holding back the true reason all this happened. In all this preaching to you about Dan, there's a question you should be asking. Where was the adult in the room? Where was the person who should have said a good old-fashioned Pentecostal, no? Where was the voice of the old-time holiness preacher who said, we don't do that in this tribe, in this house right here? Where was the voice of the judge in Dan? Was there a judge in Dan? There sure was. In Judges chapter 13, there's only one judge in Dan that I have found so far. And you know his name. His name was Samson. His father Manoah was childless. And the angel of the Lord came to him and prophesied that his mother would bear a son. And that son would be named Samson in verse 24. And the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God in verse 25 would come on Samson. And when the Spirit of the Lord would move him, no enemy would defeat him. That Spirit of the Lord, we call that the Holy Ghost. When the Holy Ghost would move on Samson, no enemy could beat him. He was undefeatable when the Spirit of God would come on him. I feel like that principle still applies in 2023. When the Spirit of God moves on you, you are undefeatable. But Samson had an issue. Samson had a past. Samson had a problem. Samson, you all know where I'm going with this. Samson had Delilah. Let's talk about this. It bugs me how much that we talk about Delilah. Do you know that Delilah's name is only recorded in one chapter of the whole Bible? You know that? Look that up in one of those concordances. Delilah's name only occurs in one chapter of Scripture. In fact, you can read later in Hebrews 11, and Samson's name is recorded in Hebrews chapter 11, and Delilah's name is not. God forgave Samson of his sin. It's us who don't forgive Samson. God forgave Samson over 3,000 years ago. It's gone. It's erased. It's buried in the name of Jesus. Repentance is real. It always has been and always will be. When you repent it is as far as the east is from the west Samson he messed up and Samson he got caught when the Philistines got him do you recall what they did to him they put his eyes out they blinded him and they bound him and they carried him where they were the goal of hell is to bind you to blind you and carry you where they are. The goal of the enemy is to bind you, take your freedom away, 
to blind you, take your spiritual vision away. You can't see left from right and wrong from sin and to carry you off where they are and bound and blind and now no longer free. He is a captive in the land of the enemy. But there he begins to pray and go around and around and around and around that mill wheel. He calls out to God. God forgives him, and God hears his prayer of repentance. And in Judges 16, verse 30, Samson prays one of the most touching prayers of all the Bible. He says, let me die with the Philistines. He bows himself with all of his might. Famous story, he pushes upon the pillars of that house of the Philistines. The house of the Philistines falls upon him and more dead, more Philistines are killed at his death than in all of his battles before. Which means, if I interpret this correctly, that he did greater works after his restoration and in all of his previous life and ministry. If you make it back, dear friend, you'll do bigger, bolder, and better. If you don't quit, if you don't throw in the towel, there's more you'll do for God than you ever thought possible before, before your mistake, before Delilah, before Bathsheba, before you messed up. God can use you in greater capacities than you ever even dreamed. God has a purpose for your life. God never proclaimed Samson's death. Look at what he prayed. Samson said, let me die. Let me die. And if Samson hadn't prayed, let me die, I just think in my Joel brain that if Samson hadn't prayed, God, let me die, Maybe he don't die. Maybe there's one survivor when that house falls upon the lords of the Philistines. Did Samson understand something deep about the mercy of God that I wish every apostolic understood? That God was so merciful, Samson just might have survived that and been fighting the fights of God after his mess-ups. There were more battles for Samson to fight. There were more enemies for him to defeat. There were some warriors and some wars that only a Samson could come out victoriously in. And when Samson said, let me die, when Samson quit, when Samson threw in the towel, I don't think he understood at the cost of quitting was the law of his tribe, his tribe, Dan backslid. But I'm not perfect. Somebody else can do a better job leading my family to truth. But God didn't call somebody else. He called you. You're Samson. You're the man. You're the one in the gap. You are making up the hedge for your household and all of your family members. You're the one interceding for your babies and your spouse and your lost loved ones and the backsliders. You're the one that God appointed. And if you quit, they don't make it back in. 
It can be easy to overfocus on all of our burbles and all of our oopsies and all of our mulligans. It can be oftentimes simple for us to say, well, this is the reason I can't be the man out front or I can't be the leader of my tribe. But what if you are the only one who can bring your son to the altar to the point where he repents and prays through to tongues? What if you are the only member of your family who can invite your brother, your sister, your mother, your father, your cousins? What if you are their only hope and they without us shall not be made perfect? That is a direct quotation from Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 40. The people that you care about the most, they without us cannot be made perfect. The very people who you love so very deeply, they may never come to the knowledge of Acts 2.38 if you're not the voice on the other end of the phone that invites them to the house of God. Everybody stand. This sermon is not about perfect people. This message is not about everyone who has it all together. It's about the regular Joes and Janes and brothers and sisters who feel like someone else is better, a better preacher a better orator, a better singer, a better organized person, someone who has skills that you don't have. Perhaps you feel like you are inferior, but particularly you are appointed. You are not a mistake. You are a minister of the Holy Ghost, and every person in this church has a ministry, and your very first ministry is inside the four walls of your tribe, of your household, your tribe of Dan, your spouse, your children, and everybody that you love. You are the reason that they don't stop coming. I can pick at the various faults and mistakes on almost any church and almost any ministry, including my own, bless God, all right? Anybody can do that, but it takes the Spirit to recognize that whatever bad things we have done or whatever you could do better at, you are the one who is keeping them in the truth. As long as you keep coming, even if there are imperfections in your life, even if if you don't like every preacher that stands in the pulpit, okay, even if you don't like me, don't let that be the reason that you say, let me die with the Philistines, and you throw in the towel and quit tonight. Don't let anything be the reason that your family goes to hell. It's not worth it. None of that is worth it. I want you all to make it. And this evening, these altars are open. I'm inviting all of us to come and make our way out of the seats. As you join me up front, I want you to make this resolution that you will not quit. Make this spiritual statement, no matter how I feel, no matter how inferior or incompetent I may think that I am, I am keeping my family saved. Make the New Year's resolution. It's April, but how about this new resolution? I'm not going anywhere. 
I'm going to have holy stick to and spiritual staying power. I'm staying in the house of God. I'm staying in the will. I'm staying in his hand. I'm staying in the kingdom. I'm going to make it. They're going to make it. All of us are going to make it. We're going to lock arms in the Lord right now and believe that God has a purpose for our lives. It's not about our imperfections. It's not about our past. It's about our future and what God is going to do in us. Thank you for listening to the MPC podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthened you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast, and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorachurch.com to learn more about our ministry.